All right, what an honor it is to be here, back here, actually, I think this is the fourth time that I have been to Good Shepherd Baptist Church. In fact, the first time I think I was here was Pastor Shemish was the pastor here, which has been, what, 50 years ago? Is that when that was? Something like that. Uh, but uh, I've always enjoyed being here. What a great church. I was bragging on this church to our young people, telling them, you're going to really be impressed with this great church in the sea. This many folks out on a rainy Wednesday night. Now, back in America, there wouldn't have been enough to wad a shotgun on, uh, uh, in our place, but uh, we're, th we're certainly thrilled and honored to be here. Thank you for the honor to let our young people sing. We were actually in Gympie uh, this morning, uh, singing and handing out tracts and witnessing and letterboxing and doing a number of things. We were singing right on Mary Street, I think is what the name of that street was. And the folk were coming up and down and trying to witness to some folks and speak to some people. And so we're honored to be here. Everybody, most everybody, let me say that, most everybody in America wants to come to Australia. And these young people have spent the entire year raising their own funds and working hard, washing cars, mowing grass, and doing a number of things to be able to come to Australia to be a blessing. And you all have been a greater blessing to us already. Just an honor to be here. Uh, in this great uh, church and, and great country, and we, uh, we love Australia. My uh, pastor who led me to Christ is named Mike Marsh. I was, he led me to the Lord when I was a teenager, and uh, so the age of some of these young people are. Uh, that's been a long time ago, best I remember. Anyway, uh, what a thrill to have you with us uh, here tonight. Pastor Paul Stevenson and has been kind of driving us around. Uh, you would call on the right side of the road. We're trying to adjust to that, and so I've been very focused trying to drive myself a little bit. Uh, just enjoy being here very, very much, and what a thrill. Now, I'm not going to sing for you. I can't sing. I was dropped on my throat when I was a baby, and so I haven't been able to sing since then, but uh, what a joy to be here. If you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter number 12, Hebrews chapter number 12, and... Uh, we are adjusting somewhat to the time. They arrived here Saturday morning, I believe, and we arrived on Tuesday of this week, Tuesday morning, lost a day, and so we're a little bit adjusting to the time schedule. Uh, Pastor Shemish knows about that, all the travel. I'm not sure my brain is with me, but uh, I'm going to do the best I can here. Hebrews chapter number 12, I want to speak tonight here for a few moments to you folks on the blessings of trouble, the blessings of trouble. I think that you would say, well, boy, that seems like a strange title for a sermon, The Blessings of Trouble. In fact, James said in James chapter 1, verse 2, he said, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers or varied temptations. Now, you and I would seemingly say we would count it all joy when we avoid divers temptations and troubles. We would kind of think that way, but the Scripture instructs us about so many things that are done through our lives that God is able to work in a greater way as a result of troubles that come our way. And the writer of the book of Hebrews gives us a good word about that. In fact, Hebrews 12, verse number 11, I'll take for the text verse. He says, Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous but grievous. Now, I never laugh at the Bible, but I do laugh with the Bible. Now to me, that's an understatement. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous but grievous. And of course, uh, we would all say amen to that. 
Nevertheless, afterward, and that's a good word to circle there, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Now really, uh, it is not how you handle the mountaintops of life that determine how greatly you're going to be used of God. It really is determined by how you handle the valleys, the setbacks, the difficulties and the troubles of life that come. In fact, I was talking to a man there on the street today in Gympie, and he was a young man, I suspect in his uh, early 20s. Michael was his name, I believe, he told me. And he said, well, I'm not a believer. He said, I, I think if there really was a Jesus Christ that he really uh, wouldn't allow such things to have happened in my life. And I said, well, we're not robots. He gives us the choices for us to make. And many times the choices that we make cause us to res be resulted in difficulties that come that we have a tendency to blame God for. And we're really when we have made choices and decisions that we're not pleasing to him, and yet uh, he gives us that opportunity. But isn't it wonderful, I said to him, that Jesus Christ can forgive all of our sins and can make our lives new, and uh, what a blessing that is. But he wasn't quite ready to absorb all of that, but at least we had the opportunity to sow some seed in that young man's life. But we all have disappointments, all of us have. All of us have troubles that come our way, whether it is a physical difficulty in our lives uh, sometimes uh, illness comes our way. In fact, John chapter number 9, there was a man born blind, and the disciples asked him the question, uh, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus said, neither had this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. So many times troubles uh, uh, turn out to be a great blessing in our life. And that's what he's saying here, the writer of the book of Hebrews is saying, Hebrews 12, 11, now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, many of us could say it was some great difficulty that drove us to the cross of Jesus Christ. And every believer in Jesus Christ would say, afterward, looking back on it, and say, I'm glad for that circumstance, the providential hand of God that drove me to my salvation and caused me to recognize my need. In fact, more often than not, it is a need, it is a difficulty that causes us to want to run to Jesus Christ and get saved, turn our lives over to Him. Many times, prosperity and good things, as far as the world is concerned as good things, cause many people to walk away from God and not live for God as they ought to have and ought to do. And so, uh, how we handle the troubles of life, how we handle the chastening of God in our lives will determine in many ways, the measure of how greatly we're able to be used of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, now, not all chastening is a punishment. Oftentimes, we equate this English word, chastening, as a punishment. But actually, the same Greek word is used in Ephesians 6, 4. And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Same Greek word translated chastening is nurturing. You don't always chasten your children, although they may think you do, in the sense of discipline, of punishment, but it is nurturing. You know, it is when 
dad says to you, now I'm going to tell you something, son or daughter, for your own good. This is going to help you. And sometimes kids want to roll their eyes like, oh, really, this is going to help me. And it does help them if you listen to it. It is a nurturing word. It is a chastening word. It is also an instructive Greek word translated the same way, 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That's the same word, Greek word used here, translated chastening. It is translated instruction. And so God wants to nurture us. He wants to instruct us. He wants to chasten us so that we can be used of God in a greater way. Now, no chastening, no instruction, generally speaking, uh, is joyous. Uh, most young people are not all excited to get up and get ready to go to school. You know, they're ready, not ready to get up and go to class. Boy, just some of them think, boy, this is just a waste of time. It seems to be that way, but it's not always that way. A lot of things seem to be a certain way. It seems to be that the sun rises in the east and sets in the west. But upon further instruction, we understand that the earth rotates on its axis and it really isn't rising itself, but the earth is revolving around every 24 hours. And so many times things in our lives seem to be a certain way. All of you could attest to that. You had some difficulty in your life, some trouble in your life. At the time, it seemed to be an unfair thing where people sometimes at the present have felt like God has been unfair to have allowed certain things to happen. And yet God isn't unfair. He's always working in a way in our lives for our good that we might better further the cause of Jesus Christ. And sometimes that results in a great difficulty. I often mention at our church about Fanny Crosby, a great hymn writer. She was blinded by an accidental blinding of the wrong medicine put in her eyes. And, and yet instead of becoming bitter, she became greatly used of God to write many great hymns. And she penned the words at eight years of age, Oh, what a happy soul am I, although I cannot see. For I am resolved that in this world contented I will be. How many blessings I enjoy that other people don't. To weep and sigh because I am blind, I cannot and I won't. And Fanny Crosby, although blinded physically with her eyes, was really able to see a lot of things that some Christians never see, really, with their physical eyes. And so oftentimes there is a great blessing that comes from troubles and difficulties. And you may be going through them, maybe life, maybe, maybe marriage, maybe some things in your life just haven't turned out the way you imagined they would. But yet God has a purpose in it all. And may we embrace that and uh, get to a point to where we can thank God for those things that come into our life. That's really what the Apostle Paul did. He, he had that thorn in the flesh. No one's quite sure exactly what the thorn in the flesh was that he had. Uh, some think, of course, bad eyesight may very well have been. The church in Galatia, he said, where is, where is the love? There was a time when you would have actually given me your eyes, but uh, they had drifted in some way. So many times people think, many theologians think it may have been that. No one really knows, but it was a thorn to which he requested three times that God would take it away. And the Lord said, to my strength is made perfect in weakness, and Paul got to a point where he said, Most gladly, therefore, will, will I rather glory in my infirmities, in my troubles, in the difficulties of life. For when I am weak, 
then am I strong, more greatly used of God, not just for a present, but for faithfulness for years because of the blessings of God. Said Paul, you've, you've been greatly used, and if I didn't give you a thorn, your flesh, you'd become proud and arrogant as a result of the many ways in which I've used you. And so I've given you this thorn. No one knows exactly, as I said, what that was. But he, was a, he began to realize how I thank God for that trouble because God worked it for good and used him in a mighty way. And even you and I, centuries later, through God using him to write much of the New Testament, would say, thank God that he stayed faithful and was used of God. I suspect here in this great church over the years you have seen some people who have been, uh, as Wesley used to say, Christianity has a tendency to undermine itself. People get saved on the bottom. They're, they're, really, uh, they're really down on their luck, as people would say. And they get saved and give their heart to Christ. They begin to live by Bible principles and they begin to enjoy great blessings and great success as the world would evaluate great success and they tend to get proud and arrogant. And eventually many of them sometimes drop out of church, drop out of serving the Lord the way they once did. And instead of the, the blessings being a blessing, the blessings turn to really them getting away from God. A little late in our church many years ago, been the pastor of 40 years and six months now, started the church when I was young and dumb. Now all that's left is the dumb part. I... Uh, but uh, I'm 67 now. But uh, here was a family that they never missed a service. Went soul winning, tithing, giving. They were very instrumental in the early days of the starting of our Temple Baptist Church. And she always wanted to live in the country. She said that would be the ultimate for us to live in the country. We could get out of the city. You have a big city here. She, would, she just hated the city. Had two daughters, her and her husband. Wonderful people. And uh, so finally, after about five years, they were in our church, they moved away and got into the country. A couple of years after that, I saw them. It was too far for them to be able to come to our church. And she, I said, well, how are things going? Where are you at in church? Well, we don't hardly go to church anymore. And I said, wow, what a sad thing. And she said, with tears streaming down her cheeks, she said, keep telling people that sometimes the very things that you would want, materially speaking, were the very things that really undid us. And the greatest days that we had in our lives as a family and with our daughters were the days we had when we were involved in church and serving the Lord. And I was in the city when I thought it was the most miserable time. But really, spiritually speaking, it was the very best time for our family, the very greatest days. And so sometimes there are blessings of trouble that come to our lives that we don't necessarily really appreciate at the time. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous. You know, sometimes, uh, and we have the illustrations here given to us in Hebrews 12. First of all, he says in verse number 3, Consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. He gives us the illustration of the Lord Jesus Christ. What he endured. And what he went through, lest you and I should get weary and faint in our minds. You know, sometimes people say, well, well, you've just never been through what I've been through. If you've been through what I've been through, you, 
You wouldn't do, you wouldn't serve the Lord. Well, first of all, we consider the Lord Jesus Christ. And we all think about him. You know, you get weary and faint in your mind serving the Lord. Think about what our Savior, what he went through that we might be able to even be here tonight to be able to serve the Lord, be able to do what we have done is all because of Jesus Christ. When we have the Lord's Supper, communion, uh, I always like to sit back while I'm waiting for everyone to be served is to reflect upon when I got saved as a teenager. And I've often thought while I've sat there with tears, where would I be if it was not for him? I can tell you I wouldn't be here tonight preaching in Australia. I, I have no idea where I would be. The Lord saved me as a teenager and uh, what a thing to reflect upon, to consider what our Lord has done. When you get weary and faint in your minds, moms and dads and, and uh, those of you who have been at this thing for quite some time, think about what our Lord endured, that we might be able to serve Him and love Him and live for Him and be used of Him. What a blessing that is. And that's what Paul is saying, or the writer of the book of Hebrews, I think it was the Apostle Paul, there's much debate about that, but he said, consider Him, lest you be weary and faint in your minds. In fact, he strengthens the argument about the Lord Jesus Christ by giving us verse 4, you have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. So you not only consider him, but think about, think about the suffering that he went through, and you haven't shed blood yet to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, there's a lot of martyrs whose shoulders we stand upon because of their faithfulness to Jesus Christ. And so you uh, think about that. You think, man, what, I'm, what we had to go through to get here tonight, and I do thank God for that. I mean, it's thank God for you folks getting your family here. Many of you, I saw all the traffic coming out of Brisbane, and we live in a big city. We're from the Dallas, Texas area, and a lot of people have to commute, and there is a long commute, and I understand that, and it does get weary. But we've not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. I mean, you haven't, you haven't physically had to suffer, physically be tortured like there are some in some Middle Eastern countries. Christians just to have a Bible sometimes might mean an arm being cut off or even death to some people or a jail sentence for some just for meeting in a church service like this in some place of the world. You've not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Think about our Lord Jesus Christ who was uh, crowned in thorns and robed in blood, died for you and for me. Think about the price that he paid, lest we be weary and faint in our minds, striving, serving, living for the Lord Jesus Christ. So he gives us that great illustration. He endured it all. He could have called 12 legions of angels. Some years ago, it was a gospel hymn that we used to sing called, He Could Have Called 10,000 Angels. Well, it really could have been many more than that. In fact, one angel, one angel, uh, you know, smote people. 120,000 people died. And uh, one angel smote Herod, and he died. Another one smote Peter, and he woke up. I'm glad angels know how hard to smite people, aren't you? And uh, so, but if he'd have called 12 legions of angels, you could imagine how he would have literally, as the song puts it, destroyed the world, but he died alone. For you and for me. It wasn't nails that held him to the cross. It was his love 
for all of us. What a blessing to our hearts. And so when you get weary and faint in your mind, the chastening, the nurturing, the instructing that comes our way in this Christian life is let's not be weary and faint and let's think about Jesus Christ and what he went through to serve him and live for him given what he has done for us. Then he gives us the illustration of our fathers. Uh, in uh, verse number seven, he said, If you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? Verse nine, Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Now, I don't know about you, but I had an old-fashioned dad. Uh, he didn't know anything about uh, not using a belt. That's what he used. My dad was was a disciplinarian. Now, my mom was grace. My dad was law. How many of you had a parent, parents like that? You, had, you got one that's grace and one that's law. Now, my, uh, some of you are looking over at your parents right now, and the, you're wondering which one they think I am. But my mom, now my mom, we could push her to the edge. She was grace. I mean, mom was just that way, very easygoing. And in fact, we'd just push her until she got to a point where she would say, now look, if you don't straighten up, I'm going to let your dad know. Now that was not what we wanted to have happen. We did not want dad. Mom knowing wasn't so bad. Dad knowing that was the ultimate. And uh, so we had fathers who corrected us. And my dad, uh, he didn't mess around. Uh, he, uh, he didn't know anything about where you could call like a phone number if you felt abused. I mean, it didn't matter. I mean, you just... You know, he'd get the belt out, and he would say, now, when are you going to start doing right? It was, the answer for me was always now. <laughs> I mean, what did you want me to say? You know, I'm thinking to myself, what do you want? well, I'll pray about it for next week. Maybe I'll start doing that. No, you didn't say that to your parents. Now, we've had fathers who corrected us, and we do them reverence, or we give them honor. And we understood that they were trying most of our parents, for the most part, and I know there's, there's sometimes there have been abusive parents. I'm not, not so foolish not to say that. But most parents have disciplined wanting the best out of you young people. They really, they, they don't want you to end up making all the mistakes even they made. Now let me tell you young people something. You are not going to live long enough to learn everything by your own mistakes. It's good for you to just learn from somebody else's mistake, not make the same mistake yourself. Could I not get an amen to that? And so the, our parents disciplined us so that we would learn and grow and be taught. You young people, you have wonderful moms and dads, and they're trying to discipline you in such a way. And that's the illustration given to us in Hebrews 12. We've had fathers who corrected us, and we gave them reverence. We honored them. We look back on it and say, you know, I'm glad they did discipline. There was a certain time when we had to be home. You got home by that time. I mean, if we didn't get home by that time, I mean, it would have been like bad news. I mean, it, it would have been like, I mean, uh, I would have been grounded for a decade. You know, that's just kind of the way that went. You just obeyed. We gave them reverence. We understood, hey, it just wasn't worth it to get the punishment that would come from our father. So he gives us that illustration how much more He's saying, how much more should we not rather, verse number 9, how much more shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father's spirits and live? So he gives us our, he's using an earthly father as a, 
illustration of how our Heavenly Father deals with us. And so He is, we, give, we gave our parents reverence. They're, they're human. No mom and dad are perfect. You know, sometimes young people roll their eyes. Be careful when you roll your eyes at your mom and dad. You go in your room and roll your eyes and murmur. You know, you read the book of Proverbs, some, some bird's going to come pluck your eyes out one of these days. <laughs> and, uh, I, don't, I don't necessarily admonish that, but you ought to be fearful about that. And the truth of the matter is, he's saying here, we gave our fathers, earthly fathers, who are, who are human. They're not perfect, but they meant the best, and we honor them. How much more should we honor our Heavenly Father when He allows certain chastening, certain nurturing, certain instruction in our lives to help us be what we ought to be for His honor and glory? You ever, uh, you know, you wonder about that. Why? Why does God allow certain things to happen? Now, I, I'm not so spiritual that, you know, when I get in the car and it won't start, that I say, well, boy, isn't this wonderful? God has a purpose in this. I mean... I'm just going to sit here and soak this up and wonder what the Lord is up to. I wish I could tell you that I'm always that way, which I'm not, and probably most of you are not either. But the bottom line is there is a reason and a purpose for all of it. We don't always understand it. We don't always appreciate it. But if we are in subjection to Him, we really live. We really live. You know, the world talks about living. Oftentimes the world views living as a lot of things that we as Christians would say, that's not living at all. That's living for this life. But if we're in subjection to God, we really get to live. You young people are getting a privilege, and I know you worked hard to be over here, and these are wonderful young people. May I say to you, I'm very thankful for them and very proud of them. They spent almost an entire year earning the money to be able to come over here just to try to be a blessing, to try to be a help. Uh, not to think that we could just add something to you necessarily, but uh, we have found 21 mission trips with young people. This is our 21st year. We, this second time being in Australia, I think we are here in 2007 or 8. Uh, we've been all around the world with young people. But we have found that the trip itself and the people they have ministered to have more ministered to them and done something for their lives as well. But you don't realize as much right now what this will mean to you, what God's allowed you to have the privilege to get to do. Uh, what, and I've, I've told them this, that there are millions of people in America that would just love to come to Australia, seriously. I mean, there's just a fascination with your great country and great people here, and, uh, and you have the privilege of doing this. I never dreamed as a young person, I would ever have the privilege to be able to do what God has allowed me to do in serving Him. And I often say this, it pays to serve Jesus Christ. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be always healthy and wealthy, but it does mean that you're going to have fruit that's going to be laid up to your account. What a privilege that is. And so He gives us that illustration of our Lord Jesus Christ and our earthly Father and our heavenly Father. And, of course, the illustration of Paul and when that thorn that he had in the flesh. And then the Old Testament, there's illustrations given to us very plain. We're all, we're all aware of them. Uh, Job, you know, Job's three friends. 
And they were friends. They came and just sat there and never said a word about a week. They sat there and just, they grieved with him. But to Job's three friends, imagined that Job's sufferings were because he sinned, because he had to be in some, I don't mean just sin, but I mean really sin. I mean, Job, there's no way in the world that you're going through this. And, of course, Job knew that what they were saying wasn't true, and he called them, he said, miserable comforters are you all. In fact, I think there's a little sarcasm. He said, when you die, wisdom will die with you, you know. You know, there's always somebody who has a word of, of exhortation about they know why. They know just why. But you see, God had a purpose for troubles in Job's life because the Lord had said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? And of course, Satan said, well, sure, I have, but you've got a hedge about him. You pull down the hedge. You allow troubles to come in his life. You let there be difficulties come in his life. You let there be disappointments that come in his life and he'll, he'll quit serving you. You see, that's what the devil in the world believes about believers is that, well, yeah, we'll serve the Lord when things go well, but let the bottom fall out and they'll quit. But Job was a great testament to serving the Lord troubles, the blessings of trouble that hundreds and thousands of years later we're still talking about Job. How God used him to speak to so many hearts. There's a lot of difficulties. Many of you maybe have been down to that silent city of the dead where you buried a loved one that you didn't understand why God let that happen. How many times we preachers have heard people say, why did God let my dad or my child die or my mother die when here's some wicked person over there that uh, has never known a day of sickness in their life and my godly parents or my godly child had to die of some illness, some disease. And yet so oftentimes we don't understand that God is at work even in those kind of difficult troubles in our lives. Can we understand that in the life of Job? We think about Joseph. All of the things that happened to Joseph. You'd say, man, we all want to say to Joseph, hang in there, Joseph. I know your brother sold you to slavery, but it's going to get better after a while. We read the rest of the story for you, Joseph, but you see... You and I don't know the rest of the story of our lives. We don't know what's yet to come. There's a lot of things that are yet to happen. Could I encourage every one of you young people and all of you here tonight, the rest of the story hadn't been written, and it may take till we get to heaven to understand why. We, uh, we realize by and by, plain it all, he'll make, but until then we tend to wonder, don't we? What is God up to? What are you trying to say to me? What are you trying to show me? Why are you letting this difficulty come? I know 37 years ago in the history of our church, 37 and a half years ago, uh, we had a difficulty and had what is commonly referred to in a Baptist church as a split. We had, we had an exodus, and it was a person who doctrinally uh, wanted me to uh, compromise doctrinal issues, not preferences, but doctrinal issues, baptism and and eternal security and some major issues. And I said, can't do that. Can't compromise those issues. And lost a great number of folks. And it was a heartache and a difficulty. But you see, in, the, in retrospect now, 37 and a half years, one of the greatest things that ever happened in the history of our church. If I look back, it really was a mountain peak. What really was a deep valley, really in retrospect now, was a mountain peak to see what God was up to. And haven't you sometimes uh, prayed some prayers that God didn't answer? 
and you really got upset with God why he didn't answer that prayer and you get past the years and you look back and say, boy, I'm glad God didn't answer that prayer. I didn't know what in the world I was asking for then. And some of you young people may be wondering why, why God doesn't uh, let that boy or girl like me. Well, you may find out later on it's good they didn't like you. Amen. And uh, I've had, uh, I had a young lady years ago sat across my desk. I mean, she cried. I mean, I almost had to get a wet drive back to get up all the tears that she was crying because this guy, she just knew she loved. He had to be the one. He broke up with her. Years later, after about five kids married to another guy, she said, boy, Pastor, I'm so glad God didn't give me him. You know, the truth of the matter is there, are, there really are more blessings, really are more learning moments in our lives from troubles and the chastening hand of God than the mountain peaks. Now, I love blessings that are not in disguise, don't you? I mean, you, you open the mailbox and there's a check in the mail. Now, that's a blessing not in disguise. Now, I like those. We all do. But more often than not, more often than not, our lives are encouraged to live greater for Jesus Christ through dark days and difficult hours when we are more often than not driven to our knees and have begun to pray with tears streaming down our cheeks unbidden. And we have said, what are you trying to say to us, Lord? What are you, what are you trying to teach us? What do we need to learn from this experience? Notice again our text, Hebrews 12, 11. Now, no chastening, no nurturing, no instruction for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. What's he saying there? He's saying there, if you allow it, if you allow it, the chastening, the nurturing, the instruction, if you allow it, you're exercised thereby. If you let it, let patience have its perfect work, James said there in James 1. If you allow it, you'll find out that that pain really turns out to cause you to be stronger, not weaker. You see, our son, uh, he got tired of me telling him what to do, so he joined the Marines where they could just tell him what to do. And they, the drill instructors of the Marine Corps, they used to say that they'd exercise them, and they'd say, now, I know you're sore, but pain is just weakness leaving the body. That's what they'd tell them. Now, that's not really true, but they wanted them to believe that. So pain is not necessarily weakness leaving the body. But the truth is, when you read this scripture, when you think about it, under them which are exercised thereby, you know that you get a little sore when you do exercises. You get sore, but eventually the pain goes away and you find yourself stronger as a result of the physical exercise. But there are spiritual exercises that God puts us through that really for the moment are painful. But eventually the pain goes and you find as a result of what happened to you resulted in you being stronger for the Lord Jesus Christ, spiritually speaking. In fact, Paul said, and I say this in closing, Philippians chapter number 1, verse 12, he said, But I would you should understand, brethren, that the things that have happened to me have fallen out rather to the furtherance of the gospel. You see, he got exercised by jail time. That was his chastening. That was his nurturing. That was his instruction. He didn't up in jail. Paul, when he went to a city, he looked for the nearest jail, see what the accommodation would be because he knew he was going to end up there. But you know what he was saying? Many of the brethren are waxed more bold 
because of my bonds, because of my imprisonment. You see, he allowed that. And it fell out, rather, to the furtherance of the gospel. And if you will allow whatever it is God is letting happen in your life, because we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, you will find if you don't, if you don't fall out, if you just consider Jesus and stay at it, you will find that God has a purpose in it. And somebody may come to Christ who's watching you. How are you going to handle that? Some saint of God may be strengthened and encouraged by the trouble you're going through so that you could comfort them to stay faithful, whatever it may be. Let's bow our heads together, shall we? I wonder how many of you are tonight going through some particular trouble that right now maybe doesn't make sense to you. You don't understand why God would have let it happen. Or maybe you know somebody who's going through a difficulty that doesn't seem to make sense to you. And they're on your mind or your own self, you're going through that, could say, Preacher, would you pray for me? Pray for uh, those folk that I'm praying for. I won't know which one it may be. But would you just lift your hand and say, I'm, either it's me or I know someone that's going through a great trouble that I want to pray that God will help them or help me. Will you lift your hand? Let me see it all over the place, all over the building. God bless you. Many, many hands raised. We're all like that, aren't we? We know somebody or we are ourselves going through some trouble. And it doesn't seem to be joyous but grievous. Nevertheless, nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Well, our Heavenly Father, thank you for this great church and this great group of folks, and my own group that's here, people that love you and have a heart for you, this great mission-minded church whose faith is spoken of throughout the world. Lord, I don't know what uh, trouble it may be that these people who have raised their hand individually are going through or someone else they know who loves you is going through a difficulty that at the present seems to be quite difficult and hard to understand. I pray that you'll help them to be patient and the Lord literally counted all joy for knowing that afterward it will yield peaceable fruit of righteousness and may fall out rather to the furtherance of the gospel through their lives. Strengthen us all, dear Lord, here tonight. For if we're not going through a great trouble, it may not be but what a few days we'll experience some heartache, some disappointment. Strengthen us for those days if we're not going through them even now, that we'll stay faithful in spite of it, in spite of the disappointments, in spite of the heartaches, in spite of like even a tragedy like what seemed to be a tragedy like Fanny Crosby to lose eyesight. And yet, Lord, you had a purpose in it all. May we trust you and listen to you as you work in our lives. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.